Welcome to the Feel Good in Body, Mind and Soul show. I'm your host, Isawelli. I'm a registered nutritional therapist and a well-being coach, and I'm here to bring you tips, tools, and conversations around nutrition, well-being, mindset, to help you feel good in body, mind, and soul. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to my podcast. Isa Welly here. Today is a special day <laughs> because <laughs> we have Emily Blake from the team in vivo here to chat with us. And I'm very, very excited because it's uh, I've been working with in vivo since I graduated. I use them to do all my testing. I use a lot of their therapeutics, a lot of their supplements. They are a B Corp company. Their products are excellent. And for practitioners like myself, they offer great clinical support and they just have a team. They have a great team to support us uh, nutritional therapists and they have such, so much knowledge. I've learned a lot, a lot from them. So um, yeah, I really wanted to have someone and I have Emily and I'm excited. Uh, we're going to talk about gut health, the impact it has in our lives, in the world, the quality of the food we eat, fitness, which is going to go for it. Emily, welcome to my podcast and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You're so welcome. How are you today? I'm really good today. So I'm actually at Invivo HQ today in Stroud in the UK. And it's a really, we have a really beautiful office. And I had a sunrise drive here today. And it was just oh. winter wonderland, to be honest with you. It looked really beautiful and watching the sunrise. Oh. So I'm feeling pumped today, to be honest with That's you. That's so, good. Yeah. I can hear yeah. it in your voice. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh gosh, she's got loads of energy. I need, I need some of that. <laughs> I need some of that. My new mom life is like hitting me hard at the moment. My daughter is four months and they go through what they call sleep regression, where she always was a great sleeper. And all of a sudden, three weeks ago, she was like, mm, no, I'm going to wake up at 2 a.m. and I'm going to chat and I'm not going to nap. And, and uh, so it's been <laughs> it's been hard, oh. but it's a phase like everything with them. So yeah. we actually sleep training now. So that's good because we're building a bit of a structure. Uh, into her routine so yeah give me all that positive yeah oh, I've got loads so I'll, I'll fire it right over <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so I think it'll be great to start for you to introduce in vivo and what you do in vivo so you're a registered nutritional therapist like myself mm-hmm. you train the mm-hmm. CNM but you have graduated bef- like six seven years ago mm-hmm. I graduated five years ago anyway you've graduated six years ago right you said yeah yeah and you work on at Invivo the clinical team. Mm-hmm. Can you explain a little bit to my subscribers, my people listening right now, what is Invivo exactly? What do you guys do? What do you guys offer? Lovely. So, so Invivo Healthcare, um, we're based in the UK and we're a human microbiome company. So to really understand what we do, we need to take it all the way back and what is the human microbiome? So the human microbiome is essentially the communities of microbes, so bacteria, fungi, viruses living within and on the human body, on the entire body. So every surface of the human body, every point where the human body meets the environment, there are microbes living there. Mm-hmm. And the collective community of these microbes living within the human body and on our skin as well is the human microbiome. And what we're learning pretty much what every day either coming either come from the, the research coming through is that the, the human microbiome is either so defining in health, 
or disease. So pretty much every condition you can think of, whether it's depression, Alzheimer's, irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease, autoimmunity, there is some contribution of the human microbiome and it being disrupted in some way. And that's what really got me into um, uh, kind of what really interested in Invivo in the first place before I even started working here with my clinical practice was pretty every client I was seeing in clinical practice, you could really identify that one of the key common drivers of what's driving much of what they're experiencing was disruption to their human microbiome in some way, especially their gut microbiome. So really at Inviva Healthcare, what we specialize in is really understanding the composition of different microbiome sites in the human body. Mm-hmm. So especially in the mouth, um, in the gut, in the vagina, and also the urinary tract now as well. Mm-hmm. And then we specialize in not only really understanding the kind of the balance of microbes in these different parts of the body, but crucially, how we can action that knowledge and how we can translate that information into really personalized evidence-based protocols that can really help people to feel better. And that's why um, at Invivo we launched the Invivo Therapeutics supplement range a few years ago uh, as a range of evidence-based supplements to really work on modulating the human microbiome. Mm. So we're human microbiome specialists and we are practitioners ourselves and, and we are so passionate about making sure that you know we can make a difference in as many people's lives as possible which is yeah. why you want to have the test to really understand what's going on but then also to have part of the solution with evidence-based supplements yeah. that can work so well alongside dietary and lifestyle changes to really you know have good potential of helping people to feel better yeah um yeah so we've got we've got quite a broad goal really which is yeah. to essentially try to restore human health and ecology by mod- understanding and modulating the human microbiome and yeah. that's what really we're here for I love it I mean I'm gonna sounds like that girl that is like fangirling and I am a fangirl anyway because you wouldn't be <laughs> here otherwise and but <laughs> I have so much respect for your work because I think not only for someone like myself who have struggled with my gut health for the past seven eight years due to too much um, antibiotics and change of career lifestyle I used to be a professional Mm -hmm. dancer traveling Mm -hmm. a lot not a great diet for me it's like an ensemble of things just like for everybody else it's very rarely one thing that causes your gut your gut microbiome to Mm -hmm. to flip right Uh, but you guys have been such a huge part of my healing process huge part of my healing process especially the therapeutics I think obviously I'm trained so I'm coming from uh, I'm talking as a registered nutritionist myself but understanding what's the right strain how to use it even when I got pregnant I gave birth I had to have a c-section I had to have antibiotics I was so sad I remember being so sad at the hospital because I know antibiotics how they destroy my gut that is already quite sensitive and I was like, don't cry, your baby's healthy, you'll figure it out. And then I think Lou sent me, she sent me a couple of bits, I told her, and then I bought some Sakuramas Bolardi and, and I feel so much better. Like, and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> they come through again to save me. And, and so I just, I just love what you do. And I just, I'm on the whole wild word to know about you guys I'm like, everybody you don't know you are missing out you're missing out um okay that's a great introduction um that's a really good introduction I have so many questions today so I really have to like <laughs> stay focused one of the questions I wanted to ask you out of curiosity is because also you know my goal as a practitioner is to help my client understand I can give you 
a protocol to follow, right? I can tell you, you need to eat a diverse a diet. You need to eat more vegetables. You need to eat this, this, this. But if I don't know what's happening in your body, I cannot target that, right? It's going to be like a hit and miss. We're going to try different protocols until we find it. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. That when you do a test, especially the gut test, because I've only used with you guys, I've used the, uh, the gut microbiome test, the ecologics mm-hmm. and the vagina one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you know exactly what you're working with. Okay, here we've got candida, we've got an overgrowth of these, we need to look into overall health because the markers also are so precise, they're so good, they directly, okay, we might have SIBO. Okay, if we have SIBO, then let's cut that, let's do this, that you can really target a protocol, you know. Yeah. Do you find in your, do you find, you know, working on that side within the healthcare, you know, receiving those tests, do you find that, is there like a trend? Do you find like, I don't know, the past two years or the past year, you get a lot of SIBO or a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, some markers that you see more or is it really broad? Oh, so much interesting areas we could delve into in that question. <laughs> I guess my first thought that comes to mind is the value of functional testing, right? So yes. um, the way I, one of the ways I would like to explain to clients is if you're at home and your roof leaks, what do you do? You, most of us will go and get a bucket to kind of collect the water for sure. Yeah. And then most of us will be like, well, you know, where is that leak coming from? It would be quite logical for us to think, well, I'm not just going to put a bucket underneath the leak and just catch the water and just see what happens. I want to be like, well, where is this leak coming from before it continues and gets worse and before it causes any damage to my ceiling? Yeah. So you probably go up into the, you know, the, maybe the apartment above you or into your loft to see where is this coming from? So you can find the cause, maybe get a roofer out. They find the kind of the, the problem with your roof and they fix that. And then you can kind of like you congest the cause and then you can then trust that you know the reason for the, the downstream effect of the leak. And then you can make sure that that won't happen again. Yeah. And I see symptoms as basically the leak, the water coming through the ceiling is that is the over issue that is you're yep. experiencing whether it's bloating or abdominal pain or depression but that's not telling you the reason why it's happening in the first place you know mm. you've got to go into the loft and rootle around and yeah. see if I got a hold of my seat roof what's going on and yeah. that's really where further investigation is really important in our like in private clinical practice where working as a nutritional therapist is to take under, undergo that detective work and think well yeah. what is causing in the first place and as yeah. you really you know rightly highlight it's never just one thing is it yeah. you know I like to think most conditions as a jigsaw puzzle you know there are many different pieces of that jigsaw puzzle that's causing the end effect and yeah. our job is to try and unravel from somebody's case history so you know they're there, what, what their kind of life has been like and their lifetime exposure to stress and antibiotics what their diet's been like but then to also use evidence from other sources so testing to really help us understand okay what are the three or four or five most likely causes of what this person's experiencing yeah and in terms of testing methods you know when we go to the doctor which you know for acute issues especially you know we would expect them we would hope them to do some testing right so yeah. some blood testing look at vitamin d and your red blood cells and your white blood cells or if you're experiencing gut symptoms chronically you'd you'd hope that they would do like the colonoscopy for example and further mm-hmm. investigation to have that expectation rightly so from conventional medicine yeah. and very much in nutritional therapy and working with functional in functional medicine there, there needs to be a similar expectation we need to know what's going on inside your body because you know there are there can be many different drivers of the same symptom so you know take bloating for example you know that can there can be multiple different factors that yeah. can drive that 
ranging from you're just not chewing properly, you're eating on the go, to maybe you've got dysbiosis in the small intestine called yeah. small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. You might have, you know, uh, in your large intestine, an overgrowth of different parasites. Yeah. You know, there could be yeah. active secretion. Yeah. There could be a whole range Lack of stomach acid. It can be so, yeah, yeah so many. So yeah. If you just take that bloating, you know, it's really difficult to yeah. be able to put a, a really effective protocol in place. And, you know, the majority of people that we see um, are people who are really struggling. They've been around the houses trying to mm. find help and they mm-hmm. come to us, you know, really kind of at the end of the road, frustrated. And you're like, yeah. I really want to help you feel better yeah, 100%. as quickly as I can. Because you, yeah. And that's really where I feel very passionate about the synergy between conventional testing methods and private functional testing methods and really trying to make use of both so that you can get the most information possible because another really important point is that um in terms of like the difference between conventional and functional testing methods um it's very much the breadth and then the markers that they're looking for so Mm. conventional testing methods are crucial so looking at say uh as i said white blood cells red blood cells inflammatory markers etc vitamin d yep and then private functional testing methods are looking at a wider variety of markers, some of which perhaps are not directly recognized yet, say by the NHS, but are have great data and science behind yeah. them how useful that they are. So that's really where microbiome testing comes in, for example, yeah. because yeah. if you go to the doctor with, say, chronic diarrhea, they will do a still test uh, and it typically looks for a short list of common pathogens. So like E. coli, for example, salmonella. Yeah. So uh, microbes that we know are pathogenic like in really common causes of say food poisoning and diarrhea yeah, yeah. But, but the story doesn't stop there there's a whole range of microbes yeah. that live crazy. in your gut yeah yeah crazy and there's a much wider range of microbes that could be kind of directly causing your symptoms so pathogens but a wider range of them different parasites and fungi species as well as bacteria but crucially private testing methods private stool tests for example like our GI ecologics we also look at the commensal bacteria mm-hmm. um, which currently looked at you know through conventional methods and yeah commensal bacteria living in your gut the so-called beneficial good bacteria yeah, yeah. Although it's that simple with the with microbes is it but but for the simplicity's sake the yeah. good bacteria but it is more nuanced you know the having a really diverse abundant colony of these commensals in your gut microbiome is really really important to 100 percent gut and you know you, you don't get that insight do you conventionally no. so if you can bring the two approaches together it's exciting yeah and also sometimes and what I've seen a lot of the time and with myself as well is you might do a testing and you see the report and there's nothing dramatic you know mm. there aren't that many pathogens and then you look at the comments or bacteria you're like wow mm. there is nothing there yeah this is the dysbiosis you we need to feed you you know we need to feed those good bacteria and really help them grow or whatever, like probiotics, prebiotics and polyphenols and do the whole work there to really target that to grow. Because I know myself that having struggled for a long time with candida, something that really helps has been probiotics. Mm-hmm. Where before at the beginning, I used to target it. I want to kill the candida, kill, 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 kill. <laughs> like, you know, that old school mentality of yeah. let's go like oregano, this, that, like, let's go like mm-hmm. big bun coming, like just mm-hmm. gunning everything. And when I've changed the approach to, and I did some testing and I was like, okay, actually I have no lactobacilli. I just, there's so many things missing here. Let me focus on actually feeding and stop that game because I'm actually mm-hmm. destroying my whole gut. 
things have been so much better so much oh, better to hear and it's interesting isn't it because that really all oh, those interesting elements there to explore so um Dr. Martin Blazer, quite a really famous microbiologist, he coined a really well-known term called missing microbes. Mm. And he wrote a great book, I think it's 2014, I think. Um, and the book is called Missing Microbes. And it's mm. a book that you can readily buy on all kind of all great platforms to explore. It's a great introduction to just what you're saying. And it's this, what it's really exploring is how the overuse of antibiotics over the several decades, how that has led to a loss of diversity, these commensal bacteria living within the gut. And it explores the range of negative health effects that can drive from that. But what I am really keen to emphasize is obviously antibiotics have a critical role to play, don't they, in acute scenarios. What we are talking about here is that kind of overuse of antibiotics, yeah. perhaps where they might not have been so essential but of course in acute yeah. scenarios they're key yeah. but he explores really the significance of not having enough of these commensals and how that can be linked to a whole range of atopic health conditions like um uh, asthma and eczema yeah also depression uh, autoimmunity and it's so funny because with our GI projects for example and I spend a lot of my time on support calls with lovely practitioners like yourself and you know very much the way that we were trained right even when you and I were studying what six seven yeah. years ago it was very much when you look at say a stool test is to look at well what's overgrown so exactly. what parasite do they have what fungus do they have what, exactly uh, pathogen do they have pathogenic bacteria yeah what actually, are we getting read off yeah what that. We're getting, exactly what's overgrown and what do we need to kill yeah. off whereas actually um what we're really seeing is if we take a step back for a moment and think about well, the human body itself is an ecosystem, right? It's a, it's a, it's a natural environment that yeah. there's going to be microbes wanting to grow there. But if we think about the gut as our focus and the gut harbors an ecosystem, okay? It's not, it's, and there's a great quote, I think it's by Martin Blazer, that, you know, our, the body is less of a battlefield to be conquered, but a garden to be tended. Mm, and actually, when gorgeous. you look at a stool test like our GI ecologics, actually sometimes you can look at it, oh, there's nothing much overgrown here, but when you go through the commensal back bacteria page it's actually often a case of what's not present rather than what is overgrown yeah and martin blazer's work is a really great example of it really emphasizes just how many health effects you can have by just not having enough or enough diversity of commensals living within the gut and i think that's lovely to hear your personal experience there and certainly like in my personal experience i've definitely found that to be key and also what we tend to find i'm wondering your practice too is when somebody does kind of more focus on what to kill off, say whether that's in, a, in their gut, for example, what inevitably happens, sadly, is they, they will typically have a recurrence of their symptoms because, yeah. once again, there's a, if you have a, a microbe overgrown in your gut, say candida albicans, for example, yeah. which is a common type of fungus, yeah. that's only part of the story. The question is, is well, why is it overgrown in the first place? Yeah. And yeah. actually, is it causing a problem for this person? Because, yeah. you know, it's it's... And once again, going back to the leak analogy, you know, the, the candida in the stool test is the, is the leak. You yeah. know, what is the upstream? What's the issue in your yeah. loft or your yeah. roof that's causing that? And yeah. often what we find when looking at the gut, thinking as a, as a whole ecosystem and remembering that we don't just want to know which microbes are living within your gut. We want to understand how is your body and how are you the host? How is your yeah. body interacting with those microbes? Because, yeah. you know, your immune status, your stress levels mm. directly impact your gut microbiome and your gut health. So yeah. we really want to understand that host microbiome relationship. Yeah. And what we often find when people have, say, an overgrowth of, say, a particular parasite or a, a, a yeast is actually 
they probably have a really low immune status. Their commensal microbiome is probably very depleted. Um, They might have really poor digestive capacity. So there's much more um, kind of material really to drive dysbiosis in the first place. And actually, if you work on these underlying terrain factors, alongside perhaps trying to gently kill off that micro depending on the scenario that um kind of approach normally leads to much more sustainable benefits i think do you know what i think and i completely agree with you because many times to clients and i'm thinking about specific clients i've gone the route of okay let's do vitamin d zinc pre and probiotics as opposed to our usual oregano and, and, and all of that and things we mm-hmm. used to do before. And I had more, I had better results. But with, in general, with people in general, especially if this is the first time seeing a practitioner like ourselves, it's the time. People want mm-hmm. quick results. Mm-hmm. And again, this is something I always try to um to try to explain through my content, whether it's my podcast or with my client or my newsletter, is like things take time. Always mm. think about how long did it take you to get to this point? You cannot click your fingers and expect, okay, I've done two weeks of, I don't know, Sakuramas Bolardi. Why do I still have this? Well, it takes time. Mm-hmm. It will mm-hmm. take time because we need to understand what's happening. And we need to fix the problem at its roots. And yeah. if we want to start feeding your gut microbiome, it does not happen overnight. And I always mm-hmm. try to be honest before I work with clients. I'm like, do not expect results tomorrow. You will mm-hmm. start feeling better quick, but you're not going to heal tomorrow. It mm-hmm. can take six months. It can take a year to mm-hmm. properly heal your gut even longer. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where having worked with clients that sometimes we work together and then I can tell they feeling they sort of give up as soon as they feel a bit better and they go back yeah. to old habits. And I'm like, but this is it. This is where you really need to persevere. And yeah. as long as you eat a sustainable diet, you'll be fine. You know, mm-hmm. eat a sustainable diet because the other option is what? Take a pill to feel good for three weeks and then I'll come mm-hmm. back in two months. Yeah. Yeah. What would you want? Take the time to heal or mm-hmm. stop and start, stop and start, stop and start, which drives you crazy. And this mm-hmm. is something I really, I don't know if this is something you see as well, but um, I've worked with many clients in the past and myself, obviously, because I myself was like that. Just I have no patience to understand how the body works. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. It's not an overnight business, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's something you've you've seen or you've experienced yourself, but it's yeah, for me it's been key to explain that to clients. Mm-hmm. Like this will take time. It's not like you go and take an antibiotic and you feel better mm-hmm. and it comes back, you know. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is we're not mm-hmm. we're not putting a, a plaster over a wound or over the leak. We need to find out why there is a leak in the place first place, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, oh, totally. I guess it's so I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, um, you know, we've both been there, you know, I've, I've had my own health issues and got, got me into nutritional therapy in the first place. And when you are struggling with whatever symptom it might be and the emotional, physical effects of that, you know, you just, you just, you just, just want to feel better as quickly as possible. And I think there's yeah. an element of, yeah, managing expectations and that's really tricky, isn't it? But then also I think, um, I think often that's really where testing comes in. Uh, I think I often for me at relatively early stage for clients, particularly people who have chronic health issues is because I think 
the more information you have about what's going on in your body at an early point, the quicker it's possible to put a really personalized protocol yeah. in place that then has the greatest chance of leading to swifter um, health effects. And yeah. one of the things I like to think about when I think in my mind with clients about where to start with testing, I often think to myself, well, what are the one or two tests that are going to give me the bird's eye view of what's going on with this person? Mm. So I can kind of get go up in the sky, look down and see get a real bird's eye about where, where are those points of imbalances so I can be really I can be put a thoroughly holistic approach into place rather than over focusing on any one area and that's where I often think about comprehensive blood testing alongside say a stool test to yeah. really give you that that balance but one thought I often have when I'm um, thinking about protocols is I often reflect on how in nutritional therapy when somebody comes to our consultation having a really nice chat you're going through the case history their story and then you're starting to talk about right okay how are we going to start and what we think about what testing and what dietary and lifestyle tweaks but what I often think about is when you go for a massage you go to that massage room and they give you the the therapy there and then and you walk out having had the therapy given to you whereas as in nutritional therapy ultimately our goal is to be your guide we can't actually do the stuff do for, for you, you. It, yeah which is why I think it's it's particularly particularly challenging here and thinking about behavior change and helping to find yeah. out how can I help you as an individual yeah make these changes that I know are going to be really helpful for you and I hope I can show you why yeah in, in what way how can I help you to be able to feel empowered yeah. to to do that and I think that's where one of the challenges is, and I often think when, because I'm um, working with people who are feeling depressed or anxious, for example, there's a whole extra obstacle there because they're feeling really low in themselves. And mm. and then but they're also asking them to make changes. Mm. And I often think that's really where supplements come in. I'm quite, I'm very passionate about supplements because, you know, I've seen so much amazing research over the years showing just how impactful they can be on health outcomes. But also as a practitioner, I've definitely seen that. And I think, um, I think where supplements have a real role to play is they have the potential to help somebody feel better that bit faster because they are yeah. a supplement to <clears throat> dietary and lifestyle changes. Yeah. And those dietary and lifestyle changes can be the harder changes to make. So they require mm. us thinking about our food shop and our budget and, you know, cooking. Um, whereas I think where I think one element where I think supplements really have a role to play is if if you're feeling particularly anxious, for example, and this person's got IBS, yeah. irritable bowel syndrome, I often think to myself with their supplement protocol is, well, what few one or two supplements can I put into that protocol that's going to maybe be working a bit more downstream, a bit more just on calming the mind, just to give yeah. them some, some relief and some feeling a bit yeah. calmer, to give them a bit more headspace. Um, and then kind of thinking about a few supplements that's working maybe more therapeutically on a particular area that I particularly want to help them with, like the gut. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's helpful to layer up a supplement protocol thinking about what supplement can I give that's going to give you hopefully a quicker result. A quicker result, yeah. And then what are the products that are going to, that I know you need to go on for deeper healing but they might yeah. take slightly longer to help you so yeah I think I often find if you've got a slightly layered approach to yeah. a protocol yeah 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 a, I mean, a little bit hopefully, hopefully a quick win but then yeah the because lines be it's exactly helpful. that I was just about to say that because you have to give your client a quick win as well for them yeah. to especially again going back to the first time if this is the first time working in nutritional therapy you want it to be a good experience for them a positive experience mm-hmm. uh, right 
and especially if they come from the conventional medicine and they haven't been so happy, they're frustrated, you definitely want to give them that quick win. And Mm -hmm. me, I do that with supplements, but also I find that, especially for those who have like a diet that is a little bit, Mm -hmm. uh, I find that when I tweak the diet just with Mm -hmm. a couple of things and just show them, we don't need to do major restrictions here. You can still be happy. And they start feeling, I don't know, let's say less bloated or they have more mm. regular bowel. Yeah. Nice. Good. Yeah. They're like, okay, this thing is working. I, I can listen to you a little bit longer now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was training, uh, one of my lecturers said, um, what's a 20% change that you can make for the 80% difference? So, mm. you know, trying when you like, when, yeah, exactly. So when we're like evaluating a case history in a food diary, thinking yeah like but there's maybe a few elements going on here but yeah. you know are they having five cups of coffee a day or just like no plant diversity and maybe yeah. those are the few smaller changes changes that yeah. yeah yeah the bigger effect yeah 100 percent. and often often those changes are really tiny mm. like you say yeah. it's a lot there's the coffee is that extra little sugar that mm-hmm. little extra spoon and it's just those, sometimes it's not, it's not that much um, yeah. to get like those, the first, you know, the first quick win. Um, yeah. That's great. So for, I wanted to ask you a little bit about someone listening to us and they have gut health issues and I have quite a big, uh, because I talk a lot about, about my own gut health and that's, mm-hmm. that's what I do the most in my clinical practice. For someone listening to us, they have gut health issues. They want to start improving. They want to start feeling better what is the very first step you think and I Mm. want to have the option of they have the if they have the you know if if they have if they can afford a practitioner or if they cannot afford a practitioner Mm -hmm. say they can't afford a practitioner what would be the first step nice okay so my first step my is trying to eat to feed that's as close to nature as possible. So that's what's called whole food. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of food nowadays is unprocessed and ultra processed. And what that essentially means is when a food, when a raw material like um, like wheat, for example, or an apple or whatever it might be, goes through multiple food processing methods, whether that's milling or grinding, it can get high, like more and more processed to the mm. point where the end product that you're eating doesn't resemble the original natural food source so a good example of that is cornflakes except if you forgot the name for a moment and somebody showed you a bowl of cornflakes would you know that that was made from corn it, just, it doesn't look anything yeah. like it it's gone through what yeah, however crazy methods and there's just so much research showing that our processed and hyper-processed way of eating which is very very common nowadays um can have a very big impact on the health of your gut so that can be very low in fiber especially prebiotic fibers that really support your commensal microbes it can be full of additives and sugars um and so where i initially try to teach people and i think the, the simplest way is is just to try and get cooking even if it's just one meal a day you know whether it's a particular snack just starting to cook from raw materials already means that you are naturally going to be avoiding a lot of processed foods and just thinking to yourself the more you feel your 
basket up with whole food ingredients, say from the fruit and vegetable aisle or nuts and seeds or meat and fish, the food that looks like the food, you know, yeah. that's already a great step because, you know, that's as nature intended pretty much. Um, yeah. And that I think, and that might sound like a big task, but I think the way I think can be really helpful, as I heard you say as well, is just think about one meal at a time. So yeah. maybe just take breakfast, for example. And if your breakfast is currently maybe a bowl of cereal um, from a mainstream brand, or if it's like a sausage sandwich, you know, yeah. make some little tweaks that are in your current way of eating. So can you switch your cereal to, you know, a really kind of a balanced muesli, for example, that's got no yeah. added sugars, or, you know, with maybe some berries on top, maybe yeah. with, you know, just trying to make those tweaks where you're thinking about how can I have a, a more natural version of what I like um yeah so that's got to be my first one really is trying to eat as close to nature as possible um even just one meal at a time yeah. I would say um and as part of that is plant diversity so there's mm. just so much research showing that the greater the variety of plants that you eat on a weekly basis, um, the more diverse your gut microbiome. And then we are learning just how important a diverse gut microbiome is to human health. So pretty much for the health of every body system. And yeah. um, research shows that at least 30 different types of plants per week is a really good goal to aim for, which you know might sound like a lot, but when you consider that uh, fruits, vegetables, spices, herbs, nuts yeah. and seeds, you know actually it's, you can start to cock it up yeah quite quickly pretty quickly um, yeah and, and what I would say the beautiful thing about that is in that kind of one intervention thinking about how can I have the wider variety of plants as possible you are pretty much in that one intervention increasing your your fiber intake you're increasing your intake of different vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients mm. from the whole variety of different colors of types of food um and you're already then actively going to be enjoying more whole foods too so it's yeah. in terms of what we we're just talking earlier it's like it's a one uh intervention but it's just it, it has so many ripple effect benefits yeah and, yeah it has but a one impact yeah but i think one caveat i would add to that is if somebody listening to your uh, pod, uh this episode today experiences quite a lot of um kind of you know, they might have a lot of food sensitivities with their IBS, for example, they might feel like, oh, but I'm reacting to say pulses and legumes and maybe that. So I think it's just making sure to work with what you're, what you're tolerating. So just yeah. becoming more and more mindful basically of your body, I think is really yeah. key. Yeah. What I would just say is if you are somebody who um, struggles with say pulses and legumes, I think for sure reduce them, you know, to manage your symptoms, but that, but don't just stop there. You deserve to have a really varied diet. That's the best yeah. way to eat is it, and to enjoy life as a human is to have a, it's to enjoy food and enjoy yeah. your eating yeah. is if that is you, I would, that's when I would particularly recommend amongst other things, you speak to a practitioner, like a nutritional therapist, because they can start to understand, well, why might you have that food sensitivity in the first place? And if you mm. start to uh, address those whys, then hopefully then that would op- be able to open up your dietary diversity. So that's yeah. just one element to consider, I think. Um, yeah. And also most of the time uh, with clients that have, you know, food sensitivities, once you work on the gut, mm-hmm. they can then eat, like it's a, it's a full circle, basically, yeah. you know, it's like, don't cut everything. We're going to cut it down. But as we're working on your gut and it's getting better, you can now eat more and more of these foods because we yes. have understood where is this coming from? What is this problem? We're sorting it out. And all of a sudden, you're digesting your pulses much better. Mm-hmm. You can have your mm-hmm. chickpeas, you know. So it's like everything is linked. And I always say that with yeah. your gut health, with your body, actually, nothing is separate. You know, people yeah. come to me and say, I have this random 
you know, I feel sometimes really low and then I'm constipated. It's just also random. I'm like, oh, everything is linked. Yeah. Let's sit down. Let's talk about it. And let me show you how it is linked, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. And actually part of that, though, you may you, you've kind of touched upon the, 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 the gut brain connection there. And I'd say a, a few of my other like absolute staples for supporting gut health um, is relaxation and finding mm. joy in every day. Because, you know, you can have the most textbook, if well, there isn't really a textbook gut health diet, but you could have you could be following a really great dietary approach. But if there is a lot of stress in your life, you're particularly anxious or work is proving really stressful or family. And, you know, that could be a major obstacle for you seeing the progress that you want to see with your gut health and your wider health. And I think you we need to put equal focus on 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 nervous system support as well. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, thinking about sleep and and relaxation and really think about what that means to you, because I'm um, you know, I really like meditation and yoga and running, particularly for my mental health. But that's not everyone's cup of tea. And I think one thing I like to talk to clients about is this is what I find helpful and what research shows can be helpful for supporting your nervous system. But what do you find helpful? Well, yeah. And I'll never forget, like? like, yeah, what do you like? What do you find relaxing? And mm-hmm. you know, that might be knitting or it might be, um, like I remember listening to Dr. Chatterjee, um, the, fun- uh, the kind of functional medicine doctor, a podcast ages ago, uh, talking about how for one of his patients, um, he was struggling a lot with anxiety. He, uh, he lent in and he asked his client, what do you enjoy doing? Or what did you enjoy doing as a kid? They yeah. don't do it as much of now. And for this guy, it was train sets, like building and playing with train sets, you know, and, Fab. you know, that, that's not meditation, yeah. but that's, it, it, that yeah. gives, probably gives him a similar, you know, benefit and it's something that yeah. he will be motivated to do every day. And I yeah. think, yeah, I think that putting, putting a lot of focus on really thinking about how your mind impacts your body, especially your gut and really nourishing your mind and finding ways that you will enjoy crucially crucially relaxing and exactly yeah yeah it's very important and I think out of personal experience as well like we just don't know how to relax anymore you know we just we don't most of us don't know you think you relax I tell people if you relax yeah yesterday was my day off I did this 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 I'm like that's not relaxing though (laughs) (laughs) you know I went to the shop I went like you know like I know personally I have to be very intentional. Okay. I'm going to relax. My phone is not in my hand. I'm going to grab a fashion magazine because I love mm-hmm. fashion. I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to be in the bathroom massaging my face for 20 minutes doing the same movement. That's for me is relaxing. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be a yoga class, but still yoga for me, I love it. But it still feels like sometimes I'm doing something. Yeah. Where like reading a magazine, flicking through. I'm like, okay, I'm not engaging my brain too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you say, it's everybody's, you've you got to find what works for you, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I agree with you. I think the the nervous system component, the relaxation component, the stress part of thing is often forgotten. Mm-hmm. Or under, not forgotten, underestimated. Yeah. And I think we have, I think you're, you're in a good point. I think, and I think we've normalized stress and being stressed, um, yeah. but it's so not normal. I mean, so not. like um, I, my, um, I've had a really kind of curvy career path. So my uh, first two degrees were in prehistoric <laughs> archaeology. Uh, the only linking factor across my career is I've always been interested in human health and nutrition, but yeah, I was an archaeologist for like five years. So wow. um, and um, so kind of very much looking at prehistoric hunter-gatherers in Europe. And I always kind of come back to what I learned and what I was really passionate about at university was studying archaeology because thinking about 
for the majority of human history, hunter-gatherers, we would naturally have consumed organic food, seasonal food, eaten local, daylight exposure, you know, mm. exposed to the rhythms of light and day and dark, light and dark. But crucially, you know, we would have absolutely had acute stresses, like when we were hunting or fishing or whatever it might be. But there would have also been time on the majority, a lot of time of like of relaxation, Fishing, of downtime. Yeah. And yeah. so and I think that's really where I often kind of come back. It's so abnormal that we are exposed to stresses pretty much every can be every kind of hour of the waking day. And yeah. I think it's also recognizing that things can be stressful that you might not also recognize like if yeah. being exposed to a lot of noise or you know obviously certain foods can be physiologically stressful but yeah. also I and doc, back to Dr. Chatterjee you know I often really like how he talks about micro stresses and macro stresses because yeah. like your macro stresses are like the stresses that society recognizes yeah that's a big deal I'm really yeah. sorry so that's like it's losing obvious somebody. yeah obvious it's like a divorce or a bereavement or you've lost yeah. your job so the big stuff but then the micro stresses are like the the tiny little things that can happen every day that we've yeah. normalized as part of, yeah. the, of modern life but yeah. that might be burning the toast it might be being in a traffic jam it might be getting to work late it yeah. might be you know sending an email too soon like all these little stresses is yeah. part of normal yeah. life if you've got enough of them just tipping away at you yeah that can adds on and that can be the yeah. straw that broke the camel's back and I think yeah. that helping people to recognize you know it's not normal to have that number of micro stresses yeah, yeah and yeah. actually that could be having a big impact on your health 100% 100% I actually recorded a, a, a podcast episode uh, with a friend of mine who's done a career change she's a, a, a coach she's a career coach and she left her high profile job uh, because of that she just mm. her work was it wasn't even the work herself itself it was also her relationship with her colleagues her manager and things like that and she was like I just couldn't take it anymore after years Mm -hmm. you know I've had chats with friends who were taking um, tablets um, antidepressants because of the relationship they had with their colleagues or the work and I'm like it's not worth it you know Mm -hmm. it's not worth it so I always applaud everybody that because it's not easy. You have a job, maybe you like the job, maybe you don't like it, but it's putting money in the bank account, food on the table. But mm-hmm. I think it's important to at least acknowledge it, recognize it, and then mm-hmm. eventually try to do something about it, you know, yeah. rather than sitting in there and something I struggle with when people say, yeah, but that's just life. No, I am fucking life. Absolutely not. I'm sorry. I am Mm -hmm. not buying that. This is not life. I was not made to sit here and listen and deal with your stress. It's not life. Mm -hmm. You don't have to live like that. We don't have to live like that. No. No, and I think you've got to work on both sides of the equation. So I think in those sorts of scenarios, take a stressful job, for example. The way I often think about it for myself as well and just generally is what can I do to help my body to adapt and be more resilient in this situation? So (laughs) do I need to um, think about reducing my caffeine intake and increasing Mm. my intake of foods that are rich in magnesium, for example, that can help to balance your nervous system? Or do I need to do some more yoga or meditation or running? Or do I need to maybe take a supplement containing herbs that can calm my mind down, like lavender or chamomile? But then equally, I'm working from the inside out. Like, how can I help my body to adapt better to this scenario? Mm -hmm. But then also, we need to work from the outside in as well. And that's obviously, as you say, is much, much harder. Um, And I've got a a client of mine who came to me with anxiety and, and IBS. And we did some lovely work together. We made some lovely changes. She saw some really nice progress. But there was a point where 
the progress was just you know you hit we hit a bit of a, an obstacle like it wasn't progressing yeah. and and the client gradually realized for themselves the the elephant in the room the whole time had been that they had a very high profile job that they deep unconsciously were finding incredibly stressful they thought they were locked in and over mm. time of working together and just gently talking about their stress and their life there was a consultation like a year later where she came into the consultation she's like she looked she looked so different mm. she looked light and vibrant and her whole even over a zoom call I could feel that her energy had changed and I was like I was, I was, I was like what's she, what's, she, what's, she, what's she done like what's she changed like I'm really yeah. curious and then she it wasn't nothing to do with uh, nutrition or supplements it was she had decided to leave her job finally she had got to the point where she felt she was able to and she had something else lined up and then that that major change that she had to make over time and maybe just our gradual conversation maybe had a small role to play in raising her awareness of that mm. um but that was you know that then meant that then she really started to see progress with her gut health for example yeah. that was just this constant stressor that was really making progress so difficult to achieve and yeah I th- and I, you know and not, not everybody is going to be able to do that and that's where I, I am really passionate about empowering people's understanding of but you can take control here you there are ways that you can nourish your body and your mind to help your body adapt better to this particular scenario that you're in and that's really where I think nutritional therapy has um a big role is we can help to teach people you know which nutrients you need to increase your intake yeah, of yeah that yeah. can help to calm your nervous system and you know how your gut health you know if, if you you know if you're, you've got IBS and you do a stool test and you've got very low commensal bacteria then you can start well actually we know that can be linked to depression and anxiety so let me teach you how to nourish your gut bacteria with fermented foods and prebiotic yeah. fibers yeah. in the hope that might help support your brain health as well so yeah. that's where I think you know just that's where I think nutritional therapy is so exciting is because you know that's an actionable area that we can work on that can help people to hopefully adapt better to the different scenarios yeah Yeah. nutritional therapies yeah it's it's just it's just so powerful you know I think Mm -hmm. when you know how to use food and it's not even that complicated obviously it can get a little bit more complex you know when you work with anxiety and people like that or autoimmune and you now there you need to have the support of a practitioner right because mm-hmm. if you haven't studied this you just can't but food is powerful mm. food is powerful it mm-hmm. is powerful I've seen it over and over and over and over in millions of different situations in my life whether it more importantly since I, I had a baby you know like the stress that is the stress Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't care what everybody say don't come at me in the comments and say oh having a baby is not stressful it is stressful it's the most beautiful thing ever I wanted this child and I'm so obsessed with my daughter when I'm not with her I'm like looking at the pictures I'm like oh my god I'm like I am that mom but it's stressful sometimes it's Mm -hmm. super stressful if they're crying you don't know what's happening oh my god and you're trying to figure it out or you have to juggle work life baby you want to be there for your baby you want to do it can be super stressful and I always come back to myself and say god I'm so grateful I know how to manage myself how to feed myself I know how to feed myself in a way that you wouldn't tell I haven't slept for five months (laughs) you know (laughs) or that I slept I sleep very just a little bit you know because I have that knowledge I know what Mm -hmm. food is going to support me to a certain extent, because I have to sleep eventually, like I have to sleep. Um, but food is powerful. I, I, I'm mm-hmm. seeing it now. I've seen it before. I've seen it with Candida. I've seen it. In, and I tell that everybody, if you can't afford a practitioner just yet, just start with your diet. Like you mm-hmm. say, go with the whole food, 
hydrate yourself, cut down the processed food, keep the coffee to the minimum, stop mm-hmm. there and start yeah. feeling that change. You know what yeah. I mean? Like mm. I, I, I think. Um, Absolutely. One of the things, one of the things I actually wanted to ask you about, and I haven't had the chance to work on to, to use it, is the new urinary tract ecologies that you have. Because mm-hmm. I've used obviously the gut, the vagina one as well, I've used it, which was really, really helpful for a couple of uh, my clients that were having a lot right. of BV and thrush. Okay. And I was like, okay. And I, there was nothing else like really in the guts to offer it. And I was like, okay, let's, let's try this. And it, we had the, the markers are great on there. Like, and we had really good progress. And when we did the protocol, but then you mentioned, oh, we have the urinary one now. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so we've recently brought to market a new microbiome panel called the Urinary Ecologics, which looks at the balance of microbes in the urinary microbiome. So um, a lot of people, I don't know about within your neural practice as well, obviously experience acute, recurrent, chronic UTIs. Oh, my God. Infections. Uh, like, I don't know any, pra- I pra- practically don't know any woman who haven't had it at least once in their lives. Yeah. Even yeah. if it's just a little bit, especially after post-birth. Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, and during pregnancy as well. Pre- during pregnancy as yeah. well. Um, and some, and there are a, a range of people that just have it all the time, and because yeah. they take pro um, antibiotics at hospital. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the current. Yeah. UTI. Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah, and I think I've seen some, there's lots of different stats, but I think like 60-70% of women will experience one UTI at least in their lifetime, which is a staggering it's statistic. Huge and number. They, yeah, it really is. And then you've got other types of urinary tract issues like interstitial cystitis, which, yeah. which you know a lot of women can particularly struggle with. Um, and then like urinary urge incontinence as well. So there's a whole range of ur- chronic urinary tract issues, which crucially can really go on to negatively impact somebody's quality of life so yeah. so far until we launch this panel our GI and vaginal ecologic so the gut and vaginal microbiome profile were already really helpful for these people so let's take UTIs as a key example because that's particularly prevalent because new research is showing us that um, the gut and the vagina can be a reservoir for microbes that can quite literally climb up into the urinary tract mm-hmm. and go on to drive urinary tract infections. So there's um, an obvious needed focus when you've got a UTI to know, you know, obviously, is there an infection in the urinary tract? But also yeah. we need to think a bit more big picture and think, well, where might that be coming from coming in the from, first yeah. place? So I can try to reduce the recurrence. And there's a lot of chat about in the research about the gut, vagina, bladder axis. So how each of those three microbiome sites are really important to understand and nurture when we support somebody prone to UTIs. Um, and actually interesting that you heard mentioned BV there. So bacterial vaginosis, yeah. really common bacterial infection of the vagina. And it can cause obviously like vaginal itchiness, um, abnormalities in discharge, like kind of often yeah. quite fishy smelling, greeny, gray yeah. discharge. Yeah. Interestingly, BV can increase the risk of urinary tract infections. Mm-hmm. So right. there's a key link here of thinking about when somebody has UTIs is oh, you know, always ask questions around, well, what's your gut health like? And also what's your vaginal health like? Because also yeah. if thrush or an overgrowth of fungal species in your vagina, for example, candida orbicans could potentially also contribute towards UTIs as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so kind of really complete the picture. So we've you know, thinking about the gut microbiome testing, the vaginal microbiome testing, we've now brought to market a year of new microbiome panel um, to really try to complete 
you know assessment of that axis basically and the urinary ecologics is a yeah a, a midstream um urine collection that looks at the composition of different microbes in the urinary tract mm. and it really interesting until like i think it's like the last kind of decade essentially even sooner than that the urinary tract was thought to be sterile except in the case of active infection so if except when you've actually had the symptoms of the uti and it might be caused by e coli for example yeah. except in that scenario it was widely thought that in, beyond that your urine tract is sterile nothing yeah whereas what we have learned in more recent years through uh, thanks to like the advent of really amazing like technology especially pcr technology which is dna testing technology we've learned actually when you're not fighting an infection in the urinary tract there is a colony of microbes there so you've got a colony particularly what should be a lactobacillus dominated colony but there are also several other species that colonize that that kind of that site in the body and it seems to vary slightly between men and women i think um but that's just for simplicity's sake there should be a good amount of lactobacillus living there hmm. and i'd imagine that quite a lot of readers have heard of lactobacillus especially in terms of taking oral probiotics and gut yeah. health so lactobacillus as a genus is basically a genus of generally really health promoting commensal bacteria hmm. and what we've learned through me more recent research is that a good colony of commensals in the urinary tract that are particularly lactobacillus can actually help to make your um, urine tract more resilient to infection sure, which is sure. amazing is yeah. when you have conventional testing which you need to have if you uh, have an acute or chronic uti the initial conventional testing is really crucial so that's like a urinary dipstick test then you've yeah. got the, the urinary culture test but crucially, sometimes that comes out with nothing and then the client still is like, well, what do I need to do? And that's really where private testing can be really I mean, helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, once again, going back to where we started our conversation today in terms of thinking about uh, missing microbes, right, and not just looking for overgrowth, there's actually, well, there's a necessary focus need to look at, well, what is overgrowth in the urine tract? What is, like, yeah. is it E. coli causing your UTI? But once again, looking at, well, what might not be present enough of and what might be making your urine tract more uh, kind of prone to infection in the first place yeah. so where we start with our test um, is looking at the lactobacillus colony and what's really important to highlight is that currently this test is for females assigned at birth only so it's not currently um, suitable for okay. males assigned at birth um, there's a few reasons for that that we can go into if you if you if you need if we need to but it's especially because um, a lot of the research is that we look that we've looked at for the market is particularly looking at a kind of studies of females assigned at birth which is one of the main reasons right. um, but especially looking at the lactobacillus colony first of all so but that's already a huge point of difference because already yeah. that shows us well actually if that's really depleted then that's already yeah Yeah. that's already opened a therapeutic avenue beyond antimicrobials thinking well how can I nurture this lactobacillus colony with certain free and probiotics for example and then we look at a range of microbes that can be overgrown that can cause UTIs um and what's really key is we look at several pathogens that are very uh well known to cause urinary tract infections like neuropathogenic E. coli for example Mm -hmm. but a real other so really exciting point of difference is what we call the pathobiont section. So pathobionts are basically microbes that can become pathogenic in certain scenarios. Yeah. And there's several pathobionts in the urinary microbiome that have gone under-recognized until really recently because they don't mm. culture very well and you can't right. accurately identify them through normal culture methods. Right. And that's really exciting because actually now we've got really great technology where to we can that. pinpoint, we can identify them. That's hopefully going to, it's, it's giving that that broader view of that person's urinary microbiome. So hopefully yeah. you can get that more data to really help yeah. that person in more detail. Yeah. 
so exciting all of this so mm. exciting and it makes me happy for anybody and one of my very first clients I actually had uh, on my uh, I have a three months uh, program called the reset program it's a one-on-one program and one of the very first client I had on that program she had recurring UTI for mm. I don't know 10 years mm-hmm. and every month she was taking antibiotics you can just imagine what that does to your gut yeah. Mm-hmm. and in conclusion what that does to your urinary tract because mm-hmm. you're just killing those lactobacilli I bet she had none left like nothing mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um and it makes me exciting for people like that because we can then now go and see okay what is the problem here how can we help you really really ta- ha- build a, a, a protocol that's targeted to you to your microbiome mm-hmm. to mm-hmm so exciting i mm. i just love your work guys i could be here for another hour chatting to you <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> um, to wrap up i want to ask yeah. you a couple of questions that ask all my guests what is yeah. one thing that you personally emily have learned about your health or your life or your wellness that you were taking for granted before is there something that you know i really like that question when i um i've got i think i was thinking about this um when, when, when i knew that like, we've got the date in the diary i think a little ponder um i think the thing that i've taken for granted i think over the years that i've really learned you can't take for granted is resilience mm. I, I can't think of any other way of describing it so i think i think we take it for granted I, I speak for myself but i think i can also speak for people that i know and observe is i think we take it for granted that our body our mind is resilient enough to withstand all the challenges that is thrown mm. at it, whether it's through poor quality food, you know, stressful lifestyles and, you know, curveballs in life. And, you know, and that we we expect that our body can just weather that storm. And I think what I really learned is that we we shouldn't take resilience for granted. We need mm. to we need to invest in our future resilience. And that's, you know, nothing necessarily big or groundbreaking. It's it's little pra- daily practices of, you know, seeing enough daylight in the morning, you know, yeah. getting some movement in, eating some lovely whole foods, you know, doing something that I find joyful every day. Yeah, you know, I remember when my, my partner and I got, got together, I was still studying nutrition and I was chefing at that time as well, curvy career path. Um, uh, my partner ended up saying to me, because I was doing nutrition expert, like left, right and centre every part of my life. And she said to me, um, what do you actually do for fun? And I was like, huh. Hmm. huh. <laughs> well, you know, well, cooking, but, they, but that's also your job. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, nutrition. yeah. And I really think actually, you know, we need to allow ourselves just to do something every day that is just pure joy. Yeah, do you know what I mean? That's something that we just love. And I think yeah. whenever I, and there's the other irony I think I've observed in myself is that, when you start to feel better, so you then you you, you like invest you in your go resilience. Yeah. Yes. The moment you feel better, you can get a bit cocky, and then you think, yeah. oh, actually, I, I don't need to be doing this thing. I can go back to what I was doing before. Hundred percent. It's so funny, and I think yeah. it's just I think yeah, I think investing daily with little micro habits in your future resilience is really yeah. key, especially especially when you're feeling good because that then is means that you've got more in the bank so when yeah. life throws you a curveball you've got you've, you just mean you're a bit got more, more resilient, resilient. Yeah. yeah so what would be those three what would be three things then that you do on a daily weekly maybe monthly to build that bank and that make you feel good in body mind and soul mm. I would I mean, I mean you mentioned about kind of gut health tips everything that I mentioned earlier <laughs> but in terms of me personally the thing that really makes me happy is 
getting outside to be honest yeah. seeing daylight even if it's just getting into the garden to be honest yeah. with you, but, you know I, I'm a passionate runner so if, if, I, if I'm too busy one day and I can't squeeze one in even just making time to take my coffee outside and just enjoy daylight is probably yeah. like it's one non-negotiable yeah um another key area though is my running that makes me so happy and I think that you know running isn't for everybody but I think that if we can take time to think you know what is the like the type of movement that just makes me so happy that that's the key because I mean running outside in nature is my absolute bliss moment that this fixes so many issues Uh, and then to be honest it is just making time to cook a really whole food nourishing meal Mm. I think if I do those three things daily which I typically do most times um that is my little recipe for success for me personally um amazing wow thank you so much that's those are so inspiring I I will definitely join you on the on the running uh, not running I actually hate running movement (laughs) on the movement side of things I can't live without movement anyway yeah but yeah yeah, movement and um and cooking like eating a good a healthy balanced meal that I love those two things are crucial as well for me I need to work on going out though because it makes me feel good but I can slack and just stay indoors and then be like, oh, I feel a bit uh, like, so yeah, I need to work yeah. on that. And, and, I mean, it, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because I feel like it, it's funny how quickly you can be like, oh, I don't feel good. What, what, I, often when I think I've had a day when I've been a bit, oh, I'm feeling a bit meh, you know, when we all yeah. have those days, yeah. we often try to think, sit back and think, what have my last few days looked like? Like, what have I done the last few days? And I typically yeah. always find that when I feel a bit meh, like I work might have been really busy and it's meant that I haven't been able to get outside maybe I haven't done enough movement yeah maybe I've had one extra cup of coffee and I often if I I think it's a quite a helpful exercise if you, even like I often talk to clients when they've got like an afternoon craving for sugar you know in that I always think well let's think back to your last day like what if yeah. how have you felt in yourself over the last day yeah what have your yeah. last few meals have been like how did you sleep because you can typically yeah. find the reason why you're having a craving and poor 100%. sleep high yeah. Strength, yeah? And yeah it's really interesting isn't it and often you can find what your own drivers are of of you not feeling great so you can find out what what really helps you yeah 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 oh god so like so very true and I could go on and on about that but definitely when you walk back like for me the past three weeks I was like god I'm craving sugar I just want biscuit it's so unlike me and I was like why well my daughter has not been sleeping because she's going through the sleep regression and that's it (laughs) that has nothing to do with me like you know because I'll I'll beat myself up like come on now like you know better and it's like no but physiologically like my body is shouting this because there's no sleep and there is stress and you're trying to make this thing work and then I've just finished a Pilates challenge and I'm like this is why and then as soon as we studied the sleep training the Pilates challenge everything is back I'm like oh I feel great I'm gonna have sardines and like it's just it's just that it really is that anyway and it's being it's being kind to yourself isn't it yeah you know yeah crucially being kind to yourself and taking time to understand yourself because actually that's the reason why and then it's it's not just discipline is it it's understand why is your body feeling this way and taking that time it's not as easy it's not just oh be disciplined I'm super disciplined but yeah I'm not like and you're a human yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) I'm like it's just happening I haven't slept I want sugar and that's what it is and I need to figure it out you know yeah. Uh, Emily thank you so much I appreciate oh. you guys so much everybody please check out in vivo healthcare I will put um, the link to their website they have therapeutics they have diagnostics for all my um, colleagues listening to this 
If you've never used them, please check it out. It's incredible. The clinical support is amazing. For anybody that is not a nutritional therapist, you can get some of their supplements also in online, on natural dispensary, in health food stores, uh, in many, many different places. Um, I swear by many of the supplements, which you will see many times in my vlogs or in my Insta stories, especially Sakurama's Bulazi. So... Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And I will speak to you you soon, Emily. Speak to you soon. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a review on the Apple podcast. It really helps the show grow and inspire more people to build and live a healthier and happier life. And as a thank you, because I like to say thank you, I will be sending you my Rise and Energize ebook. So all you need to do is go on the Apple podcast app, leave a review, take a screenshot of it and email us that screenshot on admin at isawelly.com admin at isawelly.com. So the ebook has recipes, workouts, and loads of nutrition and lifestyle tips on how to stay energized. Thank you so much, so, so much for being here.